0: Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the God Besotted Podcast. It's me, your host, Karina, and we're going to dive into an attribute of God that strikes fear in some people, is denied outright by other people, and for some, is a source of awe and peace. So hopefully, by the end of this episode, we'll all be in the last group, amazed at the boundless knowledge of God, the omniscience of God, and the mind-boggling truth that despite his full, exhaustive knowledge of us, the God with whom we have to do still pursues us and loves us with an everlasting love. I think it's going to be a good time, so let's just get right into it. Well, one of my most embarrassing moments ever in my life happened when I was taking the SAT. I was 16 years old and I was sitting in the exam during the first portion and the test had started a couple minutes before and so naturally I'm like sweating and my upper lip sweating and I'm just going through this test singularly focused on getting the answers right and I was completely absorbed by the test. It was probably reading or something. And so that first portion kind of flew by um, and all was good. But then the math section started, and after the first couple, which are kind of like freebies that they throw you—at least that's how I remember it—after those first couple questions, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know any of the answers. Yeah, so. Naturally, knowing none of the answers, I'm kind of looking around at my surroundings and I'm hoping and praying that maybe the knowledge of Algebra 2 that I had neglected to gain during my studies in high school was somehow going to just plop into my brain and then I would know the answers. And, and as I'm doing this, just looking around, thinking, bemoaning, that's when I noticed it. I noticed that the person nearest to me was working on writing and I'm like starting to get a little bothered because I remember reading in the beginning of the test that you had to work the test in order. You couldn't go back and you couldn't skip ahead. You had to wait until the proctor told you when to start the next section. And so I'm looking at this person working on writing while I'm working on math and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they're cheating. And because I'm the bastion of justice uh, that I am, uh, which is really just another way of saying I'm a huge tattletale, um, I got so frustrated that I decided I had to get the proctor's attention. I had to get to the bottom of this injustice. And so the proctor bless her heart, she had maybe already noticed me sort of squirming and staring and looking at this person very squinty-eyed and um, very self-righteously because when I got her attention, she was ready. She was ready. I. She came over to the table and, and the desk and I said, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> have we all been given the same test? And immediately, I mean like that, she smirks and she says, no. <laughs> so, Oops. Um, If I'd had the knowledge beforehand that the tests were all different and that the people around me would be working on other sections while I was working on my sections, and of course this actually, this helps people not to cheat, um, if I'd known that, I never would have made a fool of myself and maybe my score on the math section of the SAT would have been higher. Who knows? Maybe. Probably not. But hindsight is twenty twenty. And my point with telling you that very embarrassing story is that that's how we are because we're humans. Not that we're all tattletales, but we are all finite in knowledge. We lack necessary information at times. We're learning and we're discovering new things every day. But God, Scripture tells us, God isn't like that. Scripture testifies over and over again that God is utterly unlike other so-called gods because he is what theologians have called omniscient or all-knowing. Just listen to a smattering of passages that talk about the all-knowingness of God. Psalm 147.5 says God's understanding is immeasurable. In 1 John 3.20, the apostle John says God knows all things. And in Job 37, Job's friend Elihu says God is perfect in knowledge. Daniel two twenty two says, it is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. So God knows everything. Scripture is extremely clear about that. But as clear as it is, what exactly does that mean? And what does that mean for us? We're going to start by defining God's omniscience and we're going to utilize, once again, the theologian Wayne Grudem's definition for this attribute, which is as follows. He says and defines omniscience this way, God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. So we're going to unpack this definition in three points. One, God knows himself fully. Two, God knows the past, present, and future. And three, God knows us fully. Starting with number one, God knows himself fully. This is pretty straightforward, but it's nonetheless worth us dwelling on as much as we can with our limited ability to do so. The point that God knows himself fully is really just to say that the only one who's capable of grasping infinite knowledge of an infinite God is God himself. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, says it very succinctly. He says, only the infinite can know the infinite. As obvious as this seems, and as much as it logically flows from the things about God that we've already said in the past couple episodes, that God is incomprehensible to man, that God is infinite and his understanding is unsearchable, that God is self-sufficient and self-existent without any need for anyone, even with that composite picture that we've started to build of this one true God that scripture, uh, scripture paints this picture of, and scripture instructs us to worship, it's often that we don't speak about God as though we believe this is true. If you read certain systematic theologies, or you sit under certain sermons, or you're subjected to certain people's theological musings over dinner, you would think that they think they know all there is to know about God. And Tozer points this out repeatedly in The Knowledge of the Holy, it is our tendency to want to beat God down to our level, to just... Form him in a way that our minds can understand more readily and more easily. But as Tozer repeatedly stresses, and as I have found in preparing for these episodes, it's simply not possible. The God of the Bible is not a God that we can neatly pack into a box and fully understand from every angle. As one writer puts it, we are only seeing, as it were, the far side of the moon at times when it comes to who God is and who he is in himself, specifically his nature or his attributes. So with that said, understanding that only the infinite can know the infinite it, we're still going to attempt to nail down some things that Scripture is clear about when it comes to God's omniscience And the first thing is that God does know himself fully. First Corinthians 2:10 and 11 says the spirit that is the spirit of God searches everything even the depths of God. For who can know a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God most of us are grateful that other people around us can't read our minds. And some of us would express that if we had a choice about what our superpower would be, if we had one, we would choose reading minds. And why? Because it would be way more possible to know a person by understanding and hearing their thoughts. And so what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 2 is that the only person who knows the thoughts of God, even to the very depths of god is his own spirit is god himself so only the infinite can know the infinite and god being an infinite god has infinite knowledge of himself isaiah 40 13 through 14 kind of hits on this theme as well isaiah says who has measured the spirit of the lord or what man shows him his counsel who did he consult or who made him understand Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Isaiah is saying that no one, no one has ever taught God anything. He has no need to learn anything that he did not already know before. Likewise, in Romans 11, Paul says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? or who has been his counselor. You can't teach God anything. He is an infinite God with infinite knowledge, and that includes infinite knowledge of his own depths, his own infinite depths. So as hard as that is to wrap our brains around, we nonetheless need to affirm what scripture says, that God being infinite has infinite knowledge of himself. Bringing us to point two, God not only has full knowledge of himself, but he exhaustively knows the past, the present, and the future. Wayne Grudem's definition that we gave says that God knows himself fully and all things actual and possible. We'll start with that part that he knows all things actual. What we mean by this is that God knows all things that happen and all things that exist. This is why scripture calls him a God who sees. Proverbs 15, three says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And Hebrews 4, 13 sums it up very nicely. There is no creature, no creature, not a single ant, or smaller than that, I'm not a biologist, no creature that God has made, even those ones that man is still trying to discover, none of these are hidden from God's sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God sees everything actual, all things that have happened and that exist, all at once, perfectly, sees perfectly through them, and sees and knows them totally. And the amazing testimony of Scripture is that this God who sees all and knows all cares deeply about his creation. Second Chronicles 169 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. Why? not just so he can keep watch on us because he's bored not so that he can catch us in some wrongdoing and not so that he can plan his punishment for us but so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his god will never not know a single virtuous act that you do. He will never not know the depths of your desire to know him and to make him known in the world. He is searching, his eyes moving to and fro at all times for people whom he can strongly support, people who he knows their hearts are completely his. And so we come to Matthew 10, 29, which says, aren't two sparrows sold for a cent, meaning aren't birds worth nothing and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. God cares deeply about his creation and he knows everything there is to know about the things that happen and the things that exist. So God knows the present moment fully but he also knows the future. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, God declares, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Why? Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. This statement from God in Isaiah is just one of the many like it in scripture. We could spend so much time going through Old and New Testament passages that affirm God's knowledge of the future. And then we could spend even more time looking at all the things that God predicts in advance in the Bible that then come to pass. And so the truth that God knows the future seems at first in a simple reading of the Bible almost too painfully obvious to even be disputed, but we'll see in a minute that has not stopped people uh, from arguing about it, which is often the case, isn't it? So the definition says that God doesn't only know the past, present, and future, and that he knows himself fully as well, but that God knows these things in one simple act. That means he knows all things all the time. It doesn't take thinking or uh, looking back in his memory bank for God to answer any question, any equation. If you asked him how much sand was on the seashore, he would know the answer immediately. If you asked him what you were doing on June 24th, 1989, he would know immediately. He knows all things all the time, all at once. And then the definition says finally, that God knows in one eternal act. That means simply what we affirmed earlier, that God never learns or grows. He knows all things eternally. He doesn't need to find out the answer to something. He doesn't need to to be developed as a person. He already has perfect and exhaustive and infinite knowledge. So, of course, the question that arises at this point is a very important one and it's one that you've likely asked before or thought before. Um, and it's, if God knows everything, including the future, then what about me? What about humans? What about creation? Are we robots or do we have what has been called free will? So without getting too deep into these weeds, I wanted to look at least briefly at three different options for explaining the knowledge of God, specifically God's foreknowledge, and kind of reconciling it with what's been called free will by theologians. So God knows everything, and God, we've seen, knows even the future. Scripture is clear about that. But what exactly does that mean? There have been different views posited throughout history. One of those views is that God doesn't know the future in its entirety God does know certain things but he doesn't know the future human choices that will be made so one guy named Richard Rice has said it this way God doesn't know the content of future free decisions and this is because decisions aren't there to know until they occur so under his view God is omniscient he is all-knowing but this means that God only knows what is illogically knowable meaning what has already occurred. And this does not include human choices in the future. Now, you can probably already see what kind of problems would arise under this view, not the least of which is how did God guarantee the death and resurrection of Christ for the salvation of humankind if he couldn't determine at least some people's future choices. So that definition does not really align itself with scripture, especially not the scriptures that we've just read. So a second choice is that God knows future human choices, but he hasn't planned them. That is that foreknowledge is not the same thing as foreordination. So God knows the future free will choices that humans will make, but He is not the one that causes them or who makes them come about. But this view, even though it does try to reconcile free will and God's omniscience in a way that aligns a little bit more with scripture, this view still doesn't tell us how exactly our actions as humans can be certain because they're known by God, the view says. How can our actions be certain if God himself doesn't make them certain? Something is causing our actions to certainly happen. So whether you choose to call that fate or some other word, under this view, the problem of how are we free and how does God know the future is not solved. Because if our actions are fixed, if they're guaranteed or if they're certain, then we aren't free in the sense that our actions are undetermined by something or uncaused by someone. So a third and final option that we'll talk about is called middle knowledge. This view, which is posited by William Lane Craig and others, says that God knows every possibility of what every person might do in any set of circumstances, and that people's responses are guaranteed. So the future is fixed, but it's because God, who knows people exhaustively, he brings about just the right set of circumstances for people to make the choice that he wants to make certain. So this view tries to give people a little bit more leeway in the sense that there are so many possibilities for our actions, but even under this view, God is still causing people's actions. And so the latter view, I do think, this last one, middle knowledge, comes the closest to the witness of Scripture, but it's not intellectually satisfying. And I think, in my opinion, it's because this is what is called a paradox. It's an apparent contradiction or dichotomy that Scripture presents us with. There is a tension in Scripture that shows that humans are responsible for our actions and we are self-determinant. We make things happen to ourselves. And yet God knows the future, plans the future, and is um, working in his providence in the world. And so to make sense of this, Augustine has said that God's given us reasonable self-determination. Reasonable meaning we really do think through our decisions. We really do have desires and we really do then make decisions. And these decisions will affect the outcome of our lives. Hence the the word self-determination, that our actions determine our future. But past that, how these two things actually go together isn't clear scripture. What is clear is that God knows the future, God plans the future, and God holds us responsible for our actions. This probably on an intellectual level, even on an emotional level, might not be satisfying to many of us. I admit, and I'd be the first to admit, that this is one of the things that is is difficult in theology and in the Bible and it's if you're there if that's how you're feeling you are just like Paul's audience when he wrote the letter to the Romans they were also struggling with this idea And how does human responsibility work in tandem with God's providence? And so Paul in Romans 9 through 11 tries to lay it out for them. He says that Israel had rejected the gospel and somehow this was in the plan of God, yet they were responsible for it. And Paul goes through this lengthy argument about how and why that is the case. And after he says that it's God's choice that determines who comes to him, in Romans nine fourteen, Paul asks, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Is God being unjust by holding us responsible for our actions while he's also predetermined them? Paul says, by no means. That's a very strong negative. And then he explains why a little bit about God's mercy having always been according to God's will, not by any actions that any human ever does and in verse 19 Paul anticipates the Romans response he says you'll say to me then why does he still find fault how can God hold me responsible for wrongdoing if he is predetermining things and the questioner still says who can resist his will and Paul says but who are you O oh man to answer back to God will what is molded say to his molder why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? So Paul's answer, it's not what we want to hear. We want to hear exactly how these fit together. And we want this satisfying answer. But Paul's answer is simply, it's not for us to ask the question. God does hold us responsible and God does predetermine the future in his wisdom and in his foreknowledge. But as we'll see in our third point, this is not something that is going to be harmful to us. In fact, it's a truth that is going to, if embraced, going to give us ultimate joy and satisfaction both in this life and in the one to come. So we'll look at the third point briefly. God knows us fully. Psalm 139 is probably the quintessential passage that describes God's infinite knowledge of us and for good reason. It is such a wonderful Psalm and it's one that you're probably familiar with. David starts the psalm in a tone of wonder, and he declares, "O Lord, you have searched me and known me. He says that God knows everything we do and think. He says, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. He says, God even knows the words that will speak before we utter them. He says, even before word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And God knew how many days we lived before we were born. He says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And David says breathlessly in verse 6, such knowledge, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. And that really is the response that the omniscience of God should bring out of us. Because the truth is that God knows everything about us and he loves us anyway. Jesus tells his disciples that God even knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows what we need before we ask him, but it still listens to us and wants us to ask. He's patient with us. Psalm 103.14 says he knows our frame, that we are but dust. God is intimately acquainted with the fragility of humanity, not just theoretically, but personally. Because he is a God who loves us so much, he took on flesh. He became like one of us, and then he died a death that we deserved. And he did all of that knowing us through and through. Knowing our sinfulness, knowing our lack of desire for him, knowing our hate towards others, and even our hate towards him. And despite all of that, scripture says that God thinks about us. Psalm 45 says, Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. The truth of scripture and the truth of this attribute of God, that God knows all things, is that God knows us completely even when we don't know ourselves so when we're unsure whether we even love God whether we're even in the faith we can appeal to him as David does to search us we can say search me O God and know me try me and see if there's any hurtful ways in me it's similar to when Jesus asked Peter three times if Peter loved him and Peter finally said Lord you know all things you know that I love you And in that same vein, the Apostle John says that when we doubt our salvation, when our hearts condemn us because we've fallen into sin again or the enemy is trying to sift us like wheat, John says God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. He knows those who are his. So we'll conclude with a quote from A.W. Tozer and it says, And to us who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us in the gospel. How unutterably sweet is the knowledge that our heavenly Father knows us completely. No talebearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our characters can come to light to turn God away from us, since he knew us utterly before we knew him and called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. Thanks for listening to this episode of God Besotted. I hope you're as encouraged as I am by the fact that God, who knows all the species in the universe, yet undiscovered by man, who knows what lies in the depths of the ocean, even the God who has infinite knowledge of the infinite himself, that God has chosen to set his affection on you and on me, He has decided to step into human form, even though we're just dust, to bring us to Himself. The God who knows all things is good and wise, and He knows joy can't be found apart from Him, and it's pleased Him to to be glorified in the lives of you and me. So what we do matters. The fact that you're alive and you're breathing right now matters, because. The God who knows everything has chosen you, called you, and made you his. He has a purpose for you and he invites you to know him even though he's infinite in an intimate way. He knows every way you've messed up and he still cares about you. So if you have a moment, it would bless me if you left a review of the podcast on Apple or if you rated it on Spotify and maybe shared it with a friend so that they can be encouraged by this episode as well. I'll talk to you guys next week.